idea is to enlighten yourself with a book. And that's, of course, I like reading. Yes. But you can also do that with your family, or you can have a virtual book club with your friends. Some of my friends are doing that. Um, so that's my idea. And one of our very most famous bookstore actually has been in the news this week. Elite Bookstore, it's the 24-hour bookstore. I'm asking you, how many titles does that 24-hour bookstore have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Natalie, um, I don't know, 200,000. Let's take a look, 100,000. It has over 200,000 books, but oh. about 100,000 titles. See, I knew I was right in So one you were like, very close. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, those are the ideas. I hope that you enjoyed them. I hope they'd be useful to you and that you can enjoy yourself at home. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? When Chen Qian Hao was growing up, no one would have guessed he'd one day become the maker of award-winning wines. For starters, the Taiwan Chun grew up in had only two types of wine available, neither of them exactly good. No one but the state could make wine legally. Then there was the geography he had to work with. Taiwan straddles the tropics, it's hit with seasonal storms, and it has a hot, damp climate that doesn't exactly call to mind any of the world's famous wine regions. Still, Chun headed off for France to master an art form that at the time he could still have been arrested for practicing back home. Since coming back to Taiwan, he's created Taiwanese vintages that have won awards in 10 countries. He joins us today for a look at his creations and his latest project, reviving the forgotten liquors and spirits of Taiwan's past. In recent years, Taiwanese alcohol brands have come into their own. But for close to 80 years before that, there were none to speak of. Taiwan's beer, wine, and spirits all stagnated under a state monopoly. It was started in 1922, during the era when Taiwan was under Japanese rule. Before that point, Chen says, there had been around 2,600 local breweries and stills, using local crops and creating local flavors. All that variety was stamped out overnight. In its place came Japanese sake and other liquors. This state monopoly was lucrative for the government, and so after World War II, when Japan surrendered to the Allies, the new Republic of China government that governed Taiwan from then on kept the monopoly around. However, since its leaders and soldiers all came over from China, they were not at all used to the Japanese-style liquors then being brewed in Taiwan. They demanded Chinese liquors, things like sorghum wine, none of which were found in Taiwan before. Since Taiwanese consumers had no say in the matter, Taiwan's drinking culture radically changed once again overnight. This state of affairs continued well after Taiwan became a democracy, all the way to 2001. Taiwan joined the WTO, foreign imports flooded the market, and slowly, local alternatives started to emerge too. In 1992, when Chen went to study in Europe, the state alcohol monopoly was still firmly in place. When he talks about the only two brands that could legally be sold at the time, Mr. Chen is diplomatic. 
He just says that they fell well below international standards. But he adds that Taiwanese people would add ice cubes and an infusion of apple-flavored soda to make one of the brands more palatable. The soda brand is still around, found on store shelves today. The wine, not so much, which should tell you everything you need to know. Knowing about Chen's wine-deprived upbringing and the career he'd later follow in life, I had imagined that he must have had some sort of big epiphany when he arrived in France and tried real wine for the first time. So I was surprised to learn that that's not what happened at all. His first glass of French wine didn't impress him very much. He explains it was a bit like someone used to drinking tea with milk and sugar trying one of Taiwan's fine, unadulterated teas for the first time. Yet despite this initial bit of culture shock, he soon found himself entranced, if not with French wine itself, then with the culture surrounding wine in France, the respect for local produce and traditional knowledge. He decided to enroll in France's University of Burgundy as its first ever Asian student. Everyone else in his class came from winemaking stock, and he was the only one in the class who was not going to inherit a vineyard of his own. When his classmates asked him what wine he would make on returning home, he shocked them by saying that actually he'd get arrested if caught making wine there. He says his decision to study winemaking anyway must have to do with a certain contrariness in his nature. When people say that doing something isn't worthwhile, he just has to do it. He returned to Taiwan at the right time, in 2000. That's because by 2002, the monopoly system had crumbled away. In an ironic twist of events, it was the government that came looking to him for help with wine. Now, Mr. Chen says that at this point, he was still far from being an expert. But still, he agreed to give it a go and take a look at a project to make drinkable Taiwanese wine. Taiwan had good grapes to work with. Despite its subtropical climate, grapes had been introduced during the Japanese colonial period, so some varieties were long established here. But Chen found that the equipment being used was in a dreadful state. A lot of the machines were crude local copies of foreign equipment. He recommended importing proper equipment to get the job done. And then he ended up sticking around. Producing a proper Taiwanese wine became a bit of a mission for him. In the end, he decided on a Japanese variety of grapes for making red wine and a variety developed in the U.S. for a white. He also decided that both would be fortified wines made with the addition of Taiwanese brandy. This was inspired by the fortified wines he encountered in places like Madeira, Cyprus, and Marsala in Sicily, the closest producers of good wine he could find to Taiwan's subtropical locale. He even went to the island of Madeira to learn how fortified wine is made there. But let's face it, Taiwan isn't in the Atlantic or the sunny Mediterranean. It's damp here. Chen was able to work around some of the problems this can cause. In the Taichung area of central Taiwan, he found Taiwan's best grape-growing conditions, a place with a nice temperature gap between warm days and cool nights and adequate but not excessive rainfall. The wine was high-proof, too, because of the addition of brandy, and that meant he could put the wine in barrels without having to worry about mold. But there were some things he couldn't change. For instance, nothing could be done about the typhoons that start hitting Taiwan right through the grape harvest in July. 
Farmers have to rush to get their produce in or risk losing it altogether. But Mr. Chen has been able to turn the facts of Taiwan's climate to his advantage. First of all, the early harvest makes the grapes sour. And since he's making dessert wines with added brandy, this is a plus. Without a bit of sourness, he says, the sweetness is overwhelming, and drinkers might just stop after one sip. Then there's the heat, which causes evaporation. Mr. Chun ages his wine for five to six years. In that time, half of it evaporates, yielding a rich but enjoyable flavor. After more than a decade of experiments, two award-winning wines were born. So what are they like? Given the way many wine experts talk, I was, if I can be honest, expecting some rather outlandish adjectives. But Mr. Chen is a down-to-earth sort of guy, and he describes wines you can actually imagine sipping on. The white carries notes of dried fruit, honey, toffee, tropical fruit, and a touch of fresh sourness. It's not overwhelmingly sweet or sour, the secret to its success. The red has a bit of smoked prune and regular plum to it. When I ask if Taiwan has its own terroir, that special something each wine region has, he says yes, one marked by the land, but also culture. In this case, the early harvests that the typhoon season requires. I joke that Taiwan may one day have its own designated wine regions, but he quite seriously responds that he hopes Taiwan's government will take local produce designations seriously. The name of local produce ought to belong to local farmers, and he for one is sick of rice farmers, who for instance label their produce with Taiwan's famous Chishang rice-growing region even though they have nothing to do with the place at all. After winning so many awards, Mr. Chen's wines are sold out up to five years in advance. In the past, some has gone to one high-end restaurant in France, whose owner approved of them. The rest largely goes to Taiwanese collectors. For now, the plan is to keep producing. But since 2015, Mr. Chen has felt that Taiwanese wine has reached its limit. So he's launched a new project, to recover the lost liquors of Taiwan's Japanese colonial era. Seed banks and historical records are helping him reinvent brews that disappeared after World War II. Brews that use Taiwanese rice, molasses, and sweet potatoes. Mr. Chen is so dedicated that he's even learned Japanese and traveled to Japan 20 times as an apprentice. He has got a new brewery ready to go and hopes to start in the next two months, with tasty results hopefully ready in a year. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. This is Radio Taiwan International. Stroke of Light. A portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello and welcome to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. We'll pick up where we left off last week and explain the philosophy behind Cosmos, an installation art exhibition by Taiwanese artist Zhang Shuoyi, which is currently on exhibit at the Taipei Fine Arts Museum. The installations in the exhibit are, for the most part, fusions of organic and mechanical elements. We examined in the last two weeks 
that Zhang has produced some rather striking setups, such as the head of an ogre that is exposed in the backside with electrical wires and circuit boards sticking out. The same design philosophy is also seen in a large raven with electrical components sticking directly into its open belly. We mentioned in last week's show that Zhang made this series because he wanted to explore the relation between humans and the increasing role that machines and automation play in our life. More interestingly, out of all the scientists and theories from which he could draw inspiration from, he picked a German scientist from the 19th century named Alexander von Humboldt. As it turns out, there is a good reason behind it. Though there hasn't been a shortage of well-known scientists, theorists, and even novelists who explore the boundaries between man and machine, as well as the many possible scenarios when the boundary that gets blurred, Humboldt was one of the earliest scientists who explored the subject in a measured scientific manner. Throughout his life, he traveled to many countries, and along the way, he witnessed the differences in culture, economic development, and arguably more impressive to him, the difference in the implementation of machinery. During his time, which was the 19th century, the Western Hemisphere saw the Industrial Revolution and the unbelievable change that it brought to industries and society. The rising prevalence of machines has certainly brought a great many benefits. The means of production gets modernized and the speed skyrockets. But there's always a flip side. While automation brings us the affordable Model T vehicles, travel by airplanes, long-distance phone calls, as well as countless other conveniences that make people's lives easier in general, humans seem to be more and more detached from their own life. At the dawn of automation, humans automated away the repetitive, labor-intensive part of their jobs. However, we have come a long way from the days of steel mills and gas-powered ships. Today's automations are vastly different from the old image where an endless sea of robots at a car assembly line repetitively drill holes and piece together the subframe of Toyotas. It has become far more complicated than that. Automation has not just taken away the laborious part of our jobs, it gradually takes away the more creative or decision-making portion of people's work. Now, this is the portion that people traditionally believe can only be handled by human beings. But that's arguably not true anymore. Take driver's assist programs, for example, they are installed in most new vehicles nowadays. And while these programs do not entirely replace human inputs, especially when driving in complex road conditions, they do take over the task of steadying the cars when driving on long, straight highways. In fact, statistics have shown that millions of kilometers are driven without human control around the world every year. Automation has also taken over the links between human commands and execution. Do we know what happens between us talking to Siri or Google Assist and when an action actually does get complete, such as searching for a spot on the map or reserving a restaurant? We don't know, and I would argue that we are less and less interested in knowing. 
the result of this shift of us giving away creative control is what the artist himself experienced before making these installations. No longer could he tell whether the letters of rejection he received were written by actual humans or intelligent computer programs. What he did know and feel is the sense of cold detachment from the messages that should have brought him some sense of human touch. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you for listening to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. Next week, we will conclude this mini-series by taking a wider look at the implications of our increasing reliance on automation and what that means to us. Talk to you then. Pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, hello. Welcome to the feast. This is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. How are things going, Ellen Chu? A little check-in. Well, you know, I think we should check with all of our listeners around the world. I hope everyone is staying upbeat and healthy, okay? Yes. Drop us a line and let us know how things are going in your part of the world. We really yes. want to just make sure everybody's doing okay. You know, it's like every day we check up around the world to see like how many people are, you know, uh, confirmed with coronavirus, how many people passed. You know, this is very depressing. We want to check up with all of our good friends who are healthy and upbeat out there. Have you reached out to friends and family that you haven't talked to in a long time? Yes, you know, and people are telling me that how bad things are. You know, they really envy how Taiwan is doing a good job. Mm. But, you know, this really concerns me too because we're doing so well that a lot of people are forgetting yeah forgetting to stay vigilant yes and this is something scary you mm. know because this thing can go either way really quickly that's right i actually uh, have reached out to some people i haven't spoke to in many years in okay. fact i uh, reconnected with my high school classmates wow six of us had a little zoom chat one morning so somebody was in and Spain. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> and who are you? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you guys look different some, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Even though graduation was just last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys look so different. I know. Yeah, but it was nice to, to you know, to, to really see them all at you know, at the same time. I mean, this is something that we never had done before. Yeah, just the other day, I posted a picture of my whole family going to a hair salon, and we all had masks and doing our hair spa, right? Mm. Well, you know, we're lucky we're in Taiwan. We're able to go to a hair salon and still do that, right? Mm. But, you know, my friend was, it, he's a doctor in the States. And he's like, you know, this is, you know, very envious that to see how well, you know, the Taiwan has, you know, government have, have really put, put a, 
you know, their efforts and strength in holding this so that people can still have a normal life. Yeah. So it's, you know, close to normal. Semi. That's what Semi. I said. We're mm. like, you know, close to normal. But I shouldn't say that because compared to them, I think we're, we're normal. Yeah, for okay? sure. For sure. Right. So everybody keep vigilance in Taiwan and, you know, don't do anything that is like out of the craziness yes. or you know don't do anything that you think that we're okay and just go and do it okay yeah you need to stay vigilant right so you know when the world feels like it's on fire a lot of people do uh what i like to do and that is to go into the kitchen and do some baking <laughs> that's um, why we had a picture that was shared on facebook all the princess, Snow White, and Sleeping Beauty, and you know Beauty and the Beast, the Belle, you know they all gain weight because <laughs> they're in quarantine eating baked goods, and everyone's like you know doing their <laughs> baking therapy. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So in today's show, uh, I'm actually going to be heading into the kitchen to bake some therapeutic chocolate chip muffins. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, this is Feast Meets West, so it can't be just any old chocolate chip muffins. Okay. Uh, these muffins contain a very unusual ingredient. Oh, my. And what's interesting is, is they contain an ingredient. I'm going to make you guess what it is later on, Ellen Chu. Mm -hmm. But my nieces, I was... Uh, FaceTiming with them the other day, and I told them that I made these muffins, mm -hmm. and it turns out that the recipe came from them. They are the ones that shared this amazing recipe with me, and they love these muffins. Ooh. I thought I was going to like freak them out by what I put in the muffins, and it turns out that they love them, and they eat them all the time. I have some special muffins that I can share. Yeah? Yeah, it's from Berkeley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that on the show, aren't you? Mm, yeah, not in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I promise these are muffins that even your kids can eat. And in fact, later on, we're going to share them with your kids, right? It's a right? family muffin. A family okay? muffin for a family show. All right. Should we go into our menu? Definitely. In our first course, we'll tell you why baking is so therapeutic. In our second course, I head into the Feast Meets West test kitchen to make some muffins that contain this interesting ingredient. Do you have any guesses? Quick guess. Is this something that we usually use? It's something we have eaten in our show before. Is it like a local ingredient? It is grown in Taiwan, but it doesn't come from Taiwan. Think vegetable. Vegetable? You put vegetable in muffin? Yeah. Quick guess. Carrots. No, but that's a good guess. Okay. So in our third and final course, what are you going to be doing? We're going to okay. be sampling these moist muffins Ooh. with your kids. All righty. But first, a song. Okay. And this is called Chokuri Dangal Chocolate Cake. Okay. And it's by Matska. You look very concerned, Ellen Chu. Are you still thinking about the vegetable? No, I'm concerned because my kids, one of my kids, Ryan, uh huh, he doesn't like vegetable. Well, we don't tell them what's in it Let's until not later. Tell him. <laughs> right. In fact, you know what we'll do is in our third course, when it comes time to test it, you and I are going to have one here right now in the studio. Okay. And then we're going to bring them to your kids. No problem. Okay, so you're going to know what's in it before we go. Okay. All right? All right. Okay. Can you put something that, you know, puts them to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that might be your Berkeley. Okay. <laughs> no, that one makes you laugh. Okay. okay. All right. Well, uh, let's go to a song. This is by Matska. Again, this is Chocolate Cake. And basically, chocolate chip muffins, those are like little mini chocolate cakes. Mm. 
巧克力香醇又浓郁，套上蛋糕甜蜜蜜，热热融化冷冷脆皮，填补你。巧克力就是我的你，装饰都是多余，有你就是最美的作品，不需要言语。要你快靠近，蛋糕巧克力完全零距离。Yeah. Chocolate cake, chocolate cake, chocolate cake, make me fat, so sweet, so 让我变 fat， 让你变 fat， 哦哟哦哦，一起 fat。First course. Okay, so now we are in the baking therapy. So baking actually is very therapeutic. I know some of my girlfriends. You know, they bake when they're like in a bad mood,、uh-huh. or they bake when they're when they broke up with their you know boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. These are all great reasons to bake, Ellen Chu.、Mm-hmm. We're gonna definitely give you five good reasons from GoodNet、mm-hmm. um, why baking is good for your mental health. And I think just from anecdotal evidence, I think that I would agree with all these、um, okay. things. Okay. So the first one is cooking is meditative,、mm. which takes your whole attention, especially if it's simple and repetitive, can have a calm, meditative quality. You mean like stirring? Stirring is one of them, and like. Kneading, kneading, and measuring ingredients. I think it's really good because it makes you focus. Okay. <laughs> the look on your face is hilarious. I know. You you find it stressful. Yeah, because you know, whenever I see these measuring cups, <laughs> I just kind of tense up. It reminds me of my chemistry labs. You know, it has to be、oh. actual. Yeah, accurate. But I think maybe the first time you make a recipe can be a little stressful, or、mm-hmm. if you're making something for someone, it can be stressful. But if you're just doing it and like it doesn't come out, like whatever. Okay. Right. But if it doesn't come out, whatever, that's stressful. <laughs> that is stressful. Okay. And actually, <laughs> spoiler alert: when we come to our second course, you're gonna hear me stressing out in the kitchen because、okay. it was like two or three o'clock、Let's、in the morning. <laughs> okay. Well, baking stimulates the senses. Okay, the feeling of the flour, the sound of the blender, and of course, the smell of. Delectable final product,、yes. and all these experiences stimulate the senses, which in turn increases feel-good endorphins. That's right. Endorphins are really important、uh, okay. for when you want to get a little boost, right? Feeling better about everything, about the world,、okay. about life. And、yeah. nourishing activities feel good. Baking and any sort of cooking or food preparation is ultimately about nourishing ourselves and others. I think, really? what, yeah, when you're well, when you're making food for someone else, you, it's you're essentially you're nourishing them. You're you're making them. You're you're feeding them. I mean, the act of feeding somebody else, I think, can actually make you feel better too. Really? It can. <laughs> I'm not saying it does. Well, recently <laughs> I've been cooking for my kids, but you know, 
it doesn't make me feel that good. Yeah, because you're probably、uh, on a schedule or yeah, you're like, rushed. Yeah, like, you know, I have to rush everything and they're saying, Mommy, I'm hungry. Are you ready? Are you done? And、mm. then you have this oil like splattered, you know, onto your, you know, hands、mm. and it's hot.、Mm. Right. So I think that's what's interesting about baking is that, or cooking is that it can be all of these things, but it can、right. also, if you're not prepared or you have to do it or it's a chore, it can also be really stressful too. Right. But,、yeah. you know, it's like things. You can see it on two sides, right?、Mm. This is the good side. Baking can also be very creative. Psychologists have found a strong connection between creative expression and overall well being. So you can、uh, play around with your recipes if、mm. you are courageous enough to do that. So we're doing that today. That's right. Make other people happy. Well, you know, when Andrew he bakes, you know, it makes us happy.、Mm. If it tastes good. Yeah. So you can give away your creation, make other people feel happy, which in turn puts a smile on your dial. A so, smile on your dial. We'll see if our kids are going <laughs> to smile or are they going to frown. So when we feed them these、um, muffins, we need to like, take a close look at their expression and their reaction. Right. So today the kids will be plus one. We're going to、mm-hmm. have Andrew's godson. That's right. Tristan's going to be there too. Right. So we're going to see the true. Life test. That's right. And Teacher Conrad, too. Oh, Teacher Conrad.、Oh、his、goodness. best friend, okay?、Yes. And my kid's third grade teacher. Oh, goodness. All right. How will this all go? We're going to find out later on、mm-hmm. in our show. He is one blunt person, okay? Yeah, so if he doesn't like them, we'll hear about it. All right. So we're going to go into another song. This is called Baker Baker by Tori Amos. Oh, he has a song called Baker Baker? She does. All right. Back in a moment when the feast continues. Baker, baker, baking a cake. Make me a day and make me whole again. And I wonder what's in a day? What's in your cake this time? I guess you're. Says that behind my eyes, I'm hiding, and he tells me I pushed him away, and my heart's been. Thank、you 
Second course. We are back on the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen and I'm headed in to make some chocolate zucchini muffins. I'm just going to start by turning my oven on to 325. And now it's clicking away and heating up. I just use a little toaster oven here in Taiwan because I have a tiny kitchen. Uh, I'm going to race through this recipe because uh, even though we are doing this to relieve stress, uh, I'm running a little bit out of time <laughs> and I have to rush to the studio. So if you would like any of the amounts on any of these ingredients, just send me an email at androo at rti.org.tw and I'll send you the full recipe. All right, so the first thing is first, I'm gonna start by uh, peeling my zucchini and shredding them with just a little box grater. Uh, and now I do need a lot of it, so I'm gonna use one and a half zucchinis, large zucchinis. And I'm gonna make sure I squeeze all the water out before I toss it in the mix. Um, so now, here we go, step two. With a hand mixer, I am going to mix together butter, oil, and sugar until creamy. And we're adding in some eggs, two eggs. Also some vanilla extract and milk, uh, buttermilk. I've actually mixed that with a little bit of lemon to create that. Now in a separate bowl, I'm mixing together cocoa powder, baking soda, cinnamon, and salt. And I'm just doing that by hand. And now that I've done that, I'm gonna toss the dry ingredients into the wet and butter ingredients. And I'm just stirring it by hand to combine that. All right, so the last step is we're adding the grated zucchini and half of a cup of chocolate chips and stirring that pretty well. And it looks super weird <laughs> to have grated zucchini, the green and white of the grated zucchini, uh, sitting on a beautiful mound of chocolate batter. Uh, but we're going to stir that in, and it's kind of disappearing as I stir. Uh, and now I'm just uh, filling some medium-sized muffin cups, about two-thirds full, and topping those off with uh, another half cup of chocolate chips, just like three or four on top of each one. All right, and now 
They are going in the oven. All right, and they're gonna be in the oven for uh, about, when I do them, because they're medium size, for about 15 minutes and I just rotate halfway through. You just wanna make sure that they bounce back um, when you press the top uh, and then a toothpick will come out nice and clean. Third course. Okay, we have some muffins here in the studio. Chocolate chip muffins. They're baby tiny ones. Baby tiny ones. Go ahead and have one, Ellen Chu. Mm. And There's then, a special ingredient? Yeah, see if you can taste what the special ingredient is. Or see it. I can't see it. Well, oh, maybe the one that's kind of like long. Well, tell me what it tastes like first. Is it good? It's good. She doesn't seem so sure. I'm trying to figure out the taste of the new ingredient. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I see it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in shreds. Lobo? Nope. <laughs> the look on her face is hilarious. I think they're good. They're good. But, you know, it tastes chocolate chip. Right. I don't taste the veggie. Well, let me tell you what the veggie is for first. Okay. So the veggie, what happens is you add two cups of it. So it's like a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when it cooks, when it bakes, it releases all of the moisture inside of the vegetable. Mm -hmm. And so essentially, it just makes your muffins moist. Oh. So it doesn't really add any flavor. The whole point of putting it in there is to make them moister it than is the super average moist. muffin. Mm -hmm. So the answer is zucchini. Really? It has courgettes in there, zucchinis in there, oh. shredded, um, and it doesn't have any zucchini flavor. It doesn't. It's really just a secret to make your muffins moist. Mm. Do you think your kids would like it? My kids will love it. It's interesting. After I told you what it is, then you started enjoying it. Before that, you weren't No, so I was trying to... <laughs> I was trying to figure out, mm. you know, what the vegetable you put in. But, you know, I would be super looking forward to see how Ryan would, you know, taste this. And then afterwards, you tell him there's zucchini in there. Mm -hmm. Does he eat zucchini? Because I just bought like four long zucchinis. I was going to chop them and maybe, you know, stir, stir fry, fry it. Yeah. And he's like, what's that? And I'm just like, zucchini. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to have that. He's like... No, it doesn't taste, it doesn't look like it's going to taste good. So how do you think we should do this? I think we should tell them that, you know, just taste it. Okay. And then, and then, you know, after they have a bite, I said, do you taste anything strange in it? <laughs> <laughs> do you think they'll finish it? Rihanna is going to enjoy it. Rihanna will enjoy it? Rihanna is really bold. She's the one that finished the whole, you know, dried up, you know, bees that we had. Oh, that's right. She ate bees. She ate Bees. No, it wasn't bees. It, it was, was crickets. Crickets, yeah. yeah. She ate like the whole bottle. Oh, my goodness. You know, all my high school students at my cram school were like, you know, watching her. And she just like <laughs> poured the whole thing in her mouth and chewed. That's amazing. Yeah, that's scary. Okay. And what about Tristan? You think he'll eat it? I think Tristan's okay. I think he'll eat it too. Ryan, after the first bite, when we tell him, do you taste anything 
unusual, mm -hmm. he will have that psychosomatic effect on him. <laughs> and he will start going, what? Uh, uh, what? What? Okay. What? He will be like that. All right. Okay. You ready to go check it out and see what happens? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. We've got Ryan and Rihanna on the jump rope. We also have Tristan here. We also have Mr. K. Hi, Mr. K. How you guys doing? And we are going to try some chocolate chip muffins. Oh, yeah, Alan, you ready? Okay. Actually, we had it already. Yes, and we know the secret. We know the secret recipe, but they don't, okay? You ready for a chocolate muffin? Let's try one, try one, try one. Are we wiping the hands first? Wiping the hands first. Go ahead. Oh, wiping hands, wiping hands. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, Tristan? Good. It's real. And it goes to your office? Yeah, of course. It's gonna be on, you're gonna be on my radio show. You're gonna be all around the world. All right. People in Pakistan, people in Australia, people in the United States, all gonna hear you tasting our special muffin. Beautiful. Okay, hello world. Hello world. All right, this Rihanna's picked one. Special muffin. <laughs> Ryan, Go ahead. The, the most chocolatey. Most chocolatey. Yes. Ryan, would you like a muffin? This looks like a good one right here. That looks like a juicy muffin. Go ahead, take a bite. He did a hundred jumps in the jump rope and he's tired now. Nice job. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Tell us. No chocolatey. Chocolatey. Mmm. Moist. Moist. What's cinnamon? Cinnamon. No cinnamon what are you there. talking about? Carrot cake. There's it's no not carrot, carrot cake. Yeah, <laughs> it does feel a bit carrot, there, right? Yeah, a little bit. But it's not, yeah. But he, she loves carrot cake. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Ryan, like you have master. to tell us what you think. Ryan, the master, is going to tell us. Okay. Tell us what it tastes like. Okay? I swear, there's no carrots in here. There's no carrots. Because I know Ryan doesn't like but carrots. I like, I like your carrot cake. Oh, you like my carrot cake? <laughs> she <laughs> ate it before. Okay. You guys are imagining things. This is not Berkeley muffin, okay? We're not supposed to hallucinate. So good carrots. I think there's no carrots in there. I swear there's no carrots in there. You guys ready? Do you want to know what's in there? There is an unusual ingredient. There's okay, a green a vegetable. Guess what the green vegetable is? Oh God, celery. No. I wouldn't do that there to you. I know you hate green celery. Green vegetable in there. So tell oh, us what. It's not cucumber. A cucumber or something. Uh, the, the, the thing, the long thing with the, the uh, start with the A or something. Like there's something like. Uh, asparagus. Yeah, asparagus. A? It couldn't be any different from A. In fact, it's at the opposite. What'd you say? Zucchini. You are right. Oh, how'd you guess that? There is zucchini in this. <laughs> Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? <laughs> Ryan! Hey, look, Tristan going for another one. Nice. <laughs> Tristan going for one, a second one. Oh, you want another one? Rihanna's going for another one, too. Ryan, see? Oh, Ryan, the psychosomatic part. Actually, you know what? There is cinnamon in there, but very, very little. There's like a teaspoon. There you go. I'm impressed. I'm impressed you got that out of that. There's very little cinnamon. Well, it means it ha it gives another test that she doesn't have coronavirus. Right, because she can smell it, right? She can smell it and she can taste. And taste it. Right. That's good to know. So do you know what does the zucchini do to the muffin? Do I know what the zucchini does to the muffin? It moist. It what? Makes it moist. Ooh. Right. Fist bump. 
Nice, I very think. good. You are so smart. Are you are you a baker? Oh my goodness. You Do you have bake? my jeans. I I know yeah. this one has my brain. <laughs> that one no. Dad's feeling all insecure right now. That one, that one no. That one has dad's brain. <laughs> uh, zucchini Zach. All right. Zucchini Zach. <laughs> okay. Oh, the kids are coming back for more, but they can't have more. They've already had enough. How many did you have, Ryan? It was nice. Did you have one or two? One. Okay. Okay. Thank you, kids. Enjoy your muffins. Enjoy your day. Thank you. So long and be safe. That's a good way to end. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our baking show for Feast Meets West. I'm enjoying this, okay? Actually, you can have like dessert and your vegetable all in one. That's great. That is true. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of sugar in there as well, so maybe not the most healthy of well, choices. Well, you know, it's not like my lifestyle is not like, you know, zero sugar at all. Right. But, you know, once in a while, but how much sugar did you put in there? Well, I mean, it's a big recipe, right? About a cup and a half. <laughs> a cup and a half? There's not one. There's not a cup and a half in each muffin. I okay. promise. It's like maybe a little teaspoon. Yeah, you know, it, I'm always hesitant to ask how much sugar they add into like a cake or you know <laughs> baking. You know, that's the stressful part about baking. You know what my motto is? What? Don't ask, don't tell. Right. <laughs> and you know, everything that's light and airy, you just say that. Oh, it feels light. Yeah. You know what my other uh, motto is? What? Treat yourself. <laughs> That's right. Treat At yourself. this moment, you know, people just treat yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, they're all fat, so it's okay. <laughs> okay? Everybody's been not really keeping up their weight. That's right. So, our dresses, send us a letter, <laughs> tell us what you think. Right. Our address is P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at rti.org.tw. Join us next Saturday for another fantastic edition of The Feast, if we may say so ourselves. Okay. We're going to leave you with a song that's very appropriate. It's called Muffin Man. And it's by Ethan Chan, Chen Yixu. For Feast News Fest, I'm Andrew Ryan. This is Ellen Chu. Bye-bye. Bye. Paging all my people who are hurt in the desert of their lies. We won't take this from them anymore. We're not astray, we're not ashamed. Come on down, my friend, from There's a chance I know of rain Wash those tears you have inside It's a fear it will subside You should try You should try Change it
you're a star Come on down, my friend I know This is life we've got to go Wash those tears you have inside It's a fear it will subside You should try You should try Change it Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 